really my sincere desire is that all of us would be challenged to think about how we are to be living and what the entrance of the Lord into this world actually means in terms of our life. And you know, we say this, how we end 2007 has a whole lot to do with how we're going to begin 2008. And this season of Christmas is an opportunity for us to really end well, end gratefully, uh, end thinking about the big issues of life. And so my prayer is that we would really listen for God because He's not just the God who used to say things and we wrote them down, but He's a God who speaks. And if we're willing to slow down and have some degree of openness, and that's a gift of God, by the way, the Lord will challenge us and He'll do remarkable things in our lives and uh, people will be affected because of it. So, all right, Luke 1. Uh, we're going to look, read through these, pa- a lot of verses on this. Uh, if you have your Bible, you might want to, this is when you really might want to read your Bible, because this is some tiny writing here. Um, but we had to squeeze in a lot because I gave them this map, and uh, we'll do our best. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. You can see Nazareth there on the map. The sixth month, by the way, represents something that occurs earlier in the chapter. There's this incident where an angel is sent to a man named Zechariah in the temple. And uh, he's an old, aged man. And uh, he, he and his wife, have not been able, Elizabeth, have not been able to have children. And he's told that there's going to be a, a development that is going to allow them, because of God's work, to have children in their old age. It's a bit of a miracle. And so the sixth month is a reference to that incident. So six months after that incident that's referred to earlier in the chapter is what the time frame is for this. It says that that's, an angel was sent to a city of Galilee named, named Nazareth. And you can see in the map here that Nazareth is located north of uh, present-day Jerusalem. It's still there. If you were to go up, you know, there's the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, this is an area in the news today. This is the center. Jesus said <laughs> that it would never be out Uh, of the world's attentiveness. This would be a centerpiece of the world until the end of the age, he said. And truly, it is the case. I mean, if you just look at Palestine today, so much is happening there. And also, if you cross over to the east and go eastward from... See, the Jordan River flows down from the Sea of Galilee down the Dead Sea. And uh, if you cross that to the east, you know, you begin to move in the direction of, of Iraq and Iran and all the things that are going on in this region. Very centered. Jesus, Jesus came into that world, in that place that the highways of Africa and Asia and Europe meet together. And it's always been a highway of so much trade. The trade routes came through. At the time of Jesus' birth, Rome is, is r- ruling over this, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome with the iron fist. Their empire extended over. It was a, a dominant world power that held sway here. And Jesus is born, interestingly, not in the city of Jerusalem, but in an, a rather unknown village up in the north, um, you know, at least that's where the word comes to Mary. He's born in Bethlehem. But the word comes to Mary, and where the entrance is made, and where he grows up, is in Nazareth by, of Galilee. And so this is where this is taking place contextually, about 70 miles northeast of Jerusalem, just keeping in mind. It says here that uh, the angel came, was sent by God, and that there was a virgin, betrothed or engaged to a man 
whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, we think of engagement, it's a little bit different. But to be engaged in that period was to be essentially married, but yet not. The ceremony uh, was something that, usually an engagement would last for about a year. You know, today, we, uh, although I'm not saying we don't take engagement seriously, but there's not a significant necessarily consequence. It happens, that's what I'm saying, more commonly, that something might not work during that period. And we don't think necessarily, it's sad, it, it has ramifications and complications, and a lot of times it's difficult. But you're not yet viewed as married in our culture. But in Joseph's day and Mary's day, when you were betrothed, when that was arranged, it was as good as done. The only difference is you would not consummate your marriage. You would not until the ceremony. I mean, that was a significant and important part that there was a saving of oneself for that time of commitment. And it, was, it made the wedding day all the more blessed to honor God in that way. And so this is, this, but here's the deal. You were, in the eyes of the law, considered married, just not yet. So that there is this interesting and awkward phrase that someone could actually be uh, a virgin and yet a widow. And it's connected to the idea that you were, if, if your husband or to be died during your engagement, you were actually considered married at that point. So if, what I'm saying is this is a little bit different in the way things were so, sociologically and the way things were approached. Now that, that will come into play in a moment. It says here that the angel said, blessed are you, um, you know, Joseph says he's from the house of David, that is Joseph, who is, by the way, an underappreciated part of this, of this Christmas story because he plays a very supportive role. And yet um, so much of what he does allows for something to happen. And we're going to see it in a moment. But he, had this, the, he was from the house of David. That is the Bible's way of saying he came from a royal line. In, if you, the, the blood that was pulsing through him was connected to David. It was royal blood. But by the time in this period of, of his life, Joseph was not a king. He was a distant relative. Like saying, you know, one of my, my ancient relatives was David. And he was a carpenter. In fact, Jesus grows up as, uh, in the house of a carpenter and learns the trade. Worked with wood. And uh, we see here, it says that having come in, it says that the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Consider what manner of greeting this was. I mean, obviously she was, the, the other versions say, sorely terrified. I mean, absolutely caught off guard. And um, the angel could see uh, the fear in her eyes and says, Do not be afraid. Notice, Mary, for you have found favor. God's grace is with you here. And behold, something will happen if you're willing, this is implied, that you are going to conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, Jesus, just it's good for us to periodically revisit this. Jesus' name is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Yeshua, Joshua. It means God is salvation. God saves. Savior. So his very name was meant to express what God was going to do. We, we celebrate the birth of a Savior, the birth of Jesus. All right, notice here it says that he will, his name will be called Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God, notice here, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, not only a king like David, but a king to fulfill all that David had anticipated and um, represented. David was the greatest king of Israel. David was a king, by the way, bound by uh, time and space. And his reign was temporal. And it, it existed in the context of human history. 
But the angel is saying that the king that is going to be born through your womb, this king will not be so bound. In fact, verse 33, notice, in fact, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. It is an endless, eternal kingdom that is beginning. It's clear, by the way, that Mary, when she answers, uh, she's still stuck not on what he's going to be, but how is it possible that I'm going to be having a baby part is the part that catches her. You can see it here. It says, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I've never been with a man? That's when the Bible says no. It means sexually. She's saying that. Wait a second. She's still stuck on the baby part, right? How is that possible? And she asked a question that we would ask. And the reply that she's given is this, that, that the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And because it is the Holy Spirit that brings forth this life, the child will not bear the marks associated with the fallenness of human nature. He will be human, but holy, different. Therefore, notice the Holy One that is to be born will be called the Son of God. And 36, now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in, in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. And by the way, it's like the angel is saying, just in case you're, you're not believing that God can do an incredible thing here, he says, you remember your, your relative Elizabeth the one, and Zechariah who were barren and unable to have children, and they're, they're with child. And then the angel says, so don't, don't think in terms of God being limited. He says, what seems impossible with men is possible with God. In other words, God is not bound by, how, how would you say it? He is not held captive by the world that he put in place. He, he is not bound by it in any way. He's not imprisoned by the natural world that he created. He is able to step in and out of it. And that's the picture that we're being given here, that, that open, up, open up and see that God is, is on the move and he's, he's wanting to do a, a something that will change the world forever. And it says that in verse 38, that Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, behold, and, and this is her acquiescence, her agreement. I am open to what God would want to do. I don't understand it, but I'm open. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. And it required that. This was not something that could be forced. God, by the way, doesn't force himself on us. He invites us to work with his plan for our lives. This is an example of that. And so it, it's a beautiful thing to see her. Now, you know, it's interesting because I was reading a, some different stuff around this, and there was a 12th century monk named St. Bernard. And he said there were three miracles associated with this account. He said the first miracle is that God should be joined in this child, that, uh, that this baby could be divine, that God could actually become human. He said that's a miracle in and of itself. He said the second miracle was that a mother should remain a virgin. In other words, that she could have a child apart from the natural order. That, that is a miracle. And then he said, but the third one is that Mary should have such faith as to believe this mystery could actually be accomplished in her, that she could actually believe it. He says, and the, and the third is not the least of the three, but perhaps the greatest of the three. And that was his way of saying that Mary is pictured as meeting this word from heaven with, an, um, with a, a believing and willing heart. Now, I, we lay this out there. How is she going to explain this development? Who would believe her? What about the gossip, the innuendo, the complication? It's, by the way, we look and we go, oh, well, you know, it's going to be a problem. It, was, it, was it would have been a big problem because one of the things we know about that period, and, and honestly it still happened today in certain parts of the Middle East, is that if, if someone was caught in an, in an adulterous relationship, and they, she, remember, she was considered married, even though technically they have not yet been married, 
ceremonially, she was engaged, as good as married, that if she was found with child, in some cases, if a person, if a, a violated husband wanted to press the issue, someone could have, people were stoned for that. Uh, usually there were three alternatives. Joseph, for example, would have had a couple of them. I'll talk about them in a moment. By the way, it would have been a very interesting conversation to, to have listened into when Mary tried to explain uh, to Joseph what exactly had happened there. And, uh, uh-huh, well, you know, Mary, I, I, I respect you, but uh, one of the things we know, and I appreciate the Bible telling us this, he didn't believe it. He's like you and me. I don't believe you. He had three options. He could have totally pushed this thing, possibly even... She could have been stoned. We know that. Remember that incident when Jesus, the woman is thrown at the feet of Jesus in, in John, early part of John, and, and he's thrown at the feet of Jesus, and they, they said, we caught her in the very act of adultery. What do you say? They were testing him, and they provoked him. They threw her at, threw her at his feet. They said, the law says she should be stoned. Jesus, and then, of course, that's when Jesus utters that wonderful exchange that we still are, are affected by, where he said, who, who, those of you who are without sin, you throw the first stone. And then, and then he, said, he said to the woman, he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she looked up in the dirt in her shame. And she said, they're not here. And he said, neither do I accuse you, but go. Neither do I condemn you, but go and, and sin no more. You make a change. You stop what you've been doing. Don't be defined by this. Powerful. People, my point, people, this happened. Mary had concerns. Joseph could have pushed to that level. He also could have said, you know what? You hurt me. You're going to be, sh I, I, I'm simply going to make this known. There would have been a huge stigma. I mean, she would have been uh, just totally uh, shamed in front of her whole community. And the third option was that he could, well, I'm not going to do any of those things, but I'm not going to marry you either. Instead, I'm going to, I'm going to get, get you out of here. You can have that baby on your own, but, but I'm not marrying you. And that is where we're told it would have ended. And you've got to go to Matthew to find out exactly what happened. And that's what the rest of this passage on the bottom is here. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Notice, here's, then Joseph, her husband, being a good man, a just man, a righteous man, not wanting to make a public example of her. He made a decision. He was minded to put her away secretly, discreetly. It says that while he thought about these things, and behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, already your wife, in, in the eyes. For that which is conceived in her is, as she said, is of the Spirit. And she will bring forth a son. And this is what you are to call him. You are to call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his, the people from their sins. And so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord to the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son. This is from Isaiah. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us, God visiting us, God a present among us. And then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took to him his wife. But he did not know her. He did not have relations with her until she brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Now that's the account. We read it. Throughout, 
the Christmas story, stay with me here. Throughout the Christmas story, Mary, here's what I wanted. I didn't want to just look at it and say, oh, that's good. This, I, I thank you, Lord. Because God invites us to believe the incredible, by the way. But part of that invitation is to believe that we matter and we count and our life is not meaningless. The birth of Christ is an invitation, honestly, to the word of hope that says, this is not it. This is not the end. Think about what Jesus said to his disciples. John 14, flash forward 33 and a half years or more. Everything's falling apart. The world's crashing in. Jesus is about to be crucified. People are doubting left and right. His disciples are about to scatter like, like you know, running for their lives. I was going to say rats on a sinking ship, but I wanted to use a different analogy, but it'll do. <laughs> and, and, they just, and he says to them, he says to me, listen to me, your world's about to fall apart because you're not going to understand what's going to happen to me. But this was the purpose for which I was born. It's the cup I'm going to drink. And this hour I will not run from it. What shall I say to my father? Take this cup from me. No, I tell you, I will face this. I will do what I was born to do. And he says, but listen to me. Don't you ever forget this. It's not going to make sense to you. He says, look at me, basically. Do not allow your heart to be troubled. You believe in God. You believe in me. I tell you of a truth. And in my father's house are many dwelling places. That in his house of the universe of the universes in the heavens, in which earth is but a part of that house of God, one room, I go to prepare another place for you. Don't you forget this. That where I am, there you will be also. And he says this word, which still strikes me. If it were not so, I would tell you. If this was it, I would tell you. That's what he said. You believe in God, believe in me. Powerful. Mary is an example of someone who believes in God. But I'm going to suggest that here's a couple of things. We're just going to sit with these things in the closing minutes that we have together to sake this last portion. Here's what her example reveals, and I'm hoping we'll wrestle with it, think about it. But it means to me partly that she was willing to surrender her agenda for the Lord's. Again, she met the word of the Lord that came to her with a willing heart. And I'm going to tell you, there are times where the word of the Lord will come to us out of the everydayness of our life and meet us in an unexpected place with an unexpected request. Now, it may not, it won't be like this. And it may not look spectacular. But as true as I stand here, it's the word of the Lord coming and saying something to us about what it is we're supposed to respond to. For some of us, it might look like um, being open to being a blessing, to giving a blessing away in this season that we weren't planning on giving. It might have to do with serving in an area that we hadn't anticipated. It might have to do with becoming part of something. And that was not on our plans. That was not our agenda. We didn't even, that was not on our mind. I don't even want to do it. But I feel God wants me to. And I, I need to. Might be a word. Some of us, there might be words that this might be the time when God has for us to say something. And we say, well, my faith is a private thing. I don't feel comfortable sharing. You know what? Who knows? There might come a time this season when somebody we're supposed to speak up. I can tell you what he's, this Christ has done in my life. It's changed me. It might have to do with something else. I don't know. It might, it might have to do with maybe making an alteration in our career path. We had an agenda. We had a way that we thought it was going to work out. God's 
saying it's a different way. I want you to respond to me. There are, okay, this is what I'm saying. There are moments, and this is true, young and old, there are moments where, no matter how long we've been in this way, there are moments where God's word will come to us. You know, that's the only way I can describe it. And heaven will pause to see what we will do. There's, it's like there's a moment where everything sort of stops and God says, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I see Mary here and I'm looking at this and I'm saying, wow, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't think we should underestimate the difficulty of her decision because perhaps she had a conception of how, I use the word, to, of how her, her life was supposed to go. If she was like a typical young woman of her era, so much, and she was very young, so much of her special moment and dreams would have been associated with that wedding day. Because that was the day in their era, even more than ours. We celebrate the bride, but that, the bride was everything. Perhaps the special garment passed down. It would be her day. It was romantic. It was, she was, it was a beautiful, it was, it had all the, th you know, I think when she thought of her day, it was a dream. It was special. It was beautiful. And to accept this assignment from God meant to give that up. Meant to lay all that aside. You toss that out. There aren't going to be anybody celebrating this one. You have to figure out how to... Joseph barely got convinced. This, this to accept this was to yield something. Was to give something away. To give her moment as the cherished one the, with all the, the romance and the celebration and to yield up this most special day of her life and to let go of that dream. You know, letting go of dreams is not easy. It's hard. And um, she reveals, and we'll call this the second piece, she reveals a willingness, by the way, to trust God with the details. It's almost like she didn't seem to get stuck in the questions, which is where a lot of us get bogged down. Well, what about Joseph? What am I going to say? What, how is this going to play out? What about my wedding? What about my family? How do I explain the um? How do I explain the unbelievable? What am I going to do? None of that. None of that. There's no doubt. It's, it's like, Lord, you know what? I'm open. I'm open. And I'm not saying Mary was superhuman. I bet you she struggled. And maybe she needed a lot of things to affirm her faith. I, I don't know. I know. And if she did, you know what? Then it makes her willingness to trust all the more meaningful to me. Because that's where a lot of our stuff is lived out for God as well. It's not, by the way, when we wrestle with things to surrender with, to God, when, when there's a struggle taking place, we're actually more alive than we know. The place to be afraid of when it comes to, to following God in Christ is when we feel nothing. That's what I'm most afraid of. Do the religious thing and throw in the dime and the plate or whatever. I did my time. I did my time. I came to church you know, and got it all done with. Forget that. No, what he told you, he said, don't ever do that. He told his disciples, don't ever just go through the motions on, try your, challenge that every time. This is not about the religious thing. This is about life with me. Don't ever reduce it to just tokenism. You lose it. You lose everything it was meant to be. Let faith grow. Open your heart. Challenge things. Challenge. This is about, you know, I'm looking at her and I'm saying, man, she was probably working with stuff in her own heart. Um, maybe, maybe it wasn't easy for her. Um, she didn't know what that commitment was going to mean, what it was going to entail. I've heard some people say, well, you know, she was naive. 
or there you go, the mind of a simpleton, just agreeing to something, not knowing what she's actually agreeing to. And I would say, actually, I see it quite different. I, 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 and I think the Bible suggests it. Because I think that this was a picture of someone with deep waters in the soul. She was young, but there was depth to her. There was an openness to her. In fact, the Bible later on portrays her as pondering. When she actually goes back at certain times, she begins to, she's, she's portrayed as someone who thinks a lot and reflects a lot and considers things and is looking and trying to hear the voice of God in a number of different areas. A person who lives with open eyes and discernment. A good model for all of it, men and women. We can learn a lot. And in fact, I believe personally there are times when the word comes to us, and I think it was one author who said, do we ask of it what it cannot answer? Or do we embrace the word when it comes to us? Do we embrace it in its mystery? In other words, there are times where God will ask something of us and, and it cannot answer questions. If we, the, all the questions to our satisfaction, the challenge is, can I embrace it in its mystery? Can I trust God enough to not have to have it all spelled out for me? but to just walk with the knowledge that he's asked me to move in this direction, and then I'll see how it plays itself out. I'm going to say that we've all been blessed because of Mary's willingness to uh, embrace the mystery of the word that the Lord spoke over. And I'll leave this with this last thought, and that is this, that Mary's example reminds us that people are going to be blessed when we are willing to embrace his word for our life. And it may not be the big word. It may be a little word. It may be a word for this season of our life as this year turns to the next. And where our willingness, you see, he was willing to, listen, to bear weight for the Lord. He was willing to carry something for the Lord. And in a culture that preaches, and it preaches to us, and I'm part of it, our world, that preaches take care of self at all costs, it's about your happiness at all costs. It's your needs above all others. Jesus challenges that constantly. He's the Son of Man came to give himself away. Mary represents someone who opens up her agenda to God and says, Lord, if you'll use me, I'll, I'll do it. And the thing is, there are times where the most, the, what surrender looks like is accepting responsibility and not running away. It, it means, Lord, help being faithful. It might look a whole lot like just saying, I'm going to do it because, listen, there are some, th how would I say, we, uh, okay, if we embrace a word, maybe the world isn't going to be blessed. The world, that, the world was blessed because of Mary, but maybe it's just going to be our family or a group of friends or a coworker or two, a life or two, change forever. Because one man, one woman was willing to try to live not a perfect life for God, but a real one. And had a story to tell about a Savior who changed things. And maybe some people got to see it lived out. They got to see it in us. Not perfect, but trying to be faithful and bear the weight that God's given us to bear so that other people may live and be blessed because of it. Who can say all the generations of people who will be blessed because of your willingness to be faithful to an assignment, a word spoken over your life. And I'm talking not about great things, but great things that are small things. Little places where we choose not to just live for ourselves and take the easy out, but we're willing to do what is necessary 
to be faithful to God, to do what needs to be done, even though it costs us something. But the fruit of it, oh, the joy fills my soul. You see, the fruit of it, the fruit of blessing when we surrender to God, the, fr- the good that comes from a life that's willing to live increasingly open to the Lord. And I'm not saying we get there all at once. This is a journey, and it's a process. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have ups and downs to it. But it matters. If Jesus teaches us anything at Christmas time, is that God cares about human beings and how we live matters. And I want to challenge us all in the name of the Lord to be the best version of ourselves that we can possibly be in the Lord's name, to keep growing, to keep working, to be more like Him, to keep challenging the unworthy in our life and asking God to fill us with grace so that we can also birth things in this season that He would like to see come from our lives. Lord, I pray that as we sit here in these, in this, these closing minutes, as we get ready to have our closing time of giving and our closing song, Lord, that really does become like a prayer over this moment for us. But I, I pray, Lord, that there might be things that you've already been working in our hearts, Lord, about things. Maybe it's something we've got to let go of, Lord, to be able to move forward. I don't know. It could be other things, Lord, that we've just been feeling weary and part of us wants to quit, but we, we hear your voice calling us. We hear it, Lord, and we pray that there would be something of the spirit of Mary as she approached this with courage. Lord, that there's a calling that you have for all of us as men and women to live with courage and not just think about our own selves, Lord, but to think about what it means to give ourselves to be a blessing so that others may live, Lord. That is not the easy path. It is your path. You took it. You walked it. You modeled it all the way to the end. And I pray that we would be like you, Lord. We won't always get it right. We're not always going to say the right words. We're not always going to do the right things, Lord. We're going to fail a lot of times, Lord. But if our heart is willing, you will help us. And you'll get us better and better and better. And I pray that we would continue to yearn for that. Yearn for that transformation that you've promised to continue to bring into our lives. So I thank you this Christmas. You gave us the greatest gift. You gave us yourself. And I thank you for that. I pray that we would make room in our hearts for you. Make sure that we, as Luther said of old, have a bed prepared for you, Lord. There is no room in the inn. Come, dwell with me, Lord. Be welcomed here in this life. I pray that our faith would grow so that things can grow in us and blessing will flow. I ask this, Lord, teach us how to surrender better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.